Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 9. As we continue in our study of John's gospel, looking at the great truths that John is showing us there, I, with me being out last week and in the two weeks prior to that having a, a, a Good Friday and a, or excuse me a Palm Sunday and a, a Easter service, I feel sermon. I feel like we've been out of John forever. And I'm kind of glad to be back in it. I did pick up on Brother Todd's comment in his sermon last week when I watched it about not getting to chapter 20 for another year and a half or so. I thought he was being very optimistic, to be honest with you. Uh, we'll see. I spent this past week, uh, this past Monday through Wednesday or Thursday in uh, Orlando, Red and I did, at uh, the Gospel Coalition. And the theme for the, and, and the staff back, the pastors back here have been in therapy all week because they didn't get to go with me. But um, their bitterness has subsided a little bit, I think. But we, uh, we, they had a, the whole set. There were nine plenary sessions and nine plenary speakers, and they chose the Gospel of Luke to move through it. And uh, it, was, it, was fa- it was just fascinating. It was, it was, Luke is probably the Gospel I've studied the least, and just hearing these great men of God expound nine key events in the Gospel of Luke was very, very spiritually edifying for us to be there. It didn't hurt that the Gettys, Kristen and Keith Getty, were leading in the worship, and uh, that kind of added a, a special thing to it also. It was a great time. So uh, uh, I saw Pat Jenkins yesterday for just a moment, and I was telling him they'd done Luke. He said, so I guess Luke's our next series, huh? And I said, yeah, probably so, because it really did just, uh, uh, just get my juices flowing. Because Luke and John are so different. Uh, Luke kind of concentrates on the teachings more than on the miracles, although he has the miracles in there. And John is concentrating, as we have seen, on the signs of Jesus. And so you get two different dimensions, the same story, the same truth, no contradictions, but, but you still have the two stories that are different, two perspectives. Luke looking at it from one perspective, John from another perspective, and you get the full-orbed picture of Jesus. And so it was it was just amazing to be there and hear men like D.A. Carson and Tim Keller and John Piper and, and, and one guy from Ireland I'd never heard of almost skipped his session because I was dead tired. And it turned out, I turned to Retta at the end of his message and I said, that's the best one yet. So I'm glad I didn't skip it. It was an amazing time. So uh, you'll probably hear some from Luke. You'll probably hear a little from Luke this morning as we look at this passage in John because that's why I had... Brother Todd, read that passage from Luke chapter 4. If you recall, as we get ready to look at verses 1 through 12 of chapter 9, if you recall, John is building his gospel on seven signs, seven marks of the Messiah, seven miracles that demonstrate that he is who he said he was. John told us at the end of his gospel, he said, I'm writing these things to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, so you might believe that he is the Son of God, so you might understand who this one is who stands before you and whom I'm talking about. So so John is very specific that I want you to see in all that I write and all that I say that, that Jesus is the servant of God. Jesus is God incarnate, and he takes these seven miracles and shows us that. In a very real sense, the miracles have have progressed. They have gotten stronger. They've gotten more clear 
in what they're saying about Jesus. You remember the first one was back in chapter 2 where Jesus turned the water into wine at, uh, at the wedding feast at Cana. I realize as Baptists were supposed to think he changed the wine into water, but he didn't. He changed the water into wine. And at the wedding feast at Cana, the best wine the place had ever seen, the greatest wine that was possible. And so, so there he was saying that my, the, the new covenant is coming and the old covenant, the old ways, the old law is giving way to the gospel, giving way to the new covenant. And we saw that miracle. Then he healed the nobleman's son and he just showed his power even to be able to bring healing to someone who was very ill even though they weren't even in his presence. All it took was his word. We, we saw the healing of the man at, at the pool of Bethesda who was there, who had been lame and crippled for over 30 years, and he said, take up your mat and walk. And it showed the power of the Messiah over infirmity and over uh, uh, crippledness and, and, and stuff of that nature. Then we saw the feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And, and in that, he fed these people with just... Uh, well, fishes and loaves of almost nothing, and they all ate, and they were all filled. And, and in their perspective, they wanted to say, hey, we're ready for you, Jesus. You're our Messiah. You're our King. Let's put you on the throne. And he pulled away because he said, I want you to see that I'm not here just to do miracles and fill your bellies. I'm here to be the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger. If you trust in me, you'll never, you'll never go hungry spiritually ever ever again. And so he fed the 5,000. Then he walked on the water. And he showed that the Messiah is powerful over even the forces of nature, the storm raging, the, the, the waves raging, and he walks out to the boat on the water and stills the storm. The Messiah even has control, even has sovereignty, even has power over the elements of nature. Then we come to this sixth sign. And he, he takes this man who is born blind. Again, we talked about this a little bit earlier, how significant that is. He was not one who had been blinded by an accident or blinded by a, a problem or a sickness. He was born blind. Everything in his optical nerves was dysfunctional. He, he had never seen. He, he had been in darkness his whole life. And Jesus comes along after he's leaving the Feast of the Tabernacles and this is what John records for us. Follow along in your Bible, John 9, beginning verse 1. Even though we've already looked at verses 1 through 4, I want to read them in context. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, philosophical, theological question, Rabbi, who sinned that this man is blind? Was it him or, or was it his parents? that he would be born blind. And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Literally, the, the power of God, the glory of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. For night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground, and he made clay of the spittle, and applied the clay to the man's eyes. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. 
So he went away and washed, and he came back seeing. This man, blind from birth, came back to where Jesus was, and his eyesight had been restored. Therefore, the neighbors, those who had lived around him his whole life, those who knew him the best, and those who previously saw him as a beggar, were saying, is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he is like him. He does look like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. I'm him. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man who is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Salome and wash. So I went away and I washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. I mean, he's looking around. He sees everybody there, but he, he, he can't identify Jesus. Why not? Because he's never seen him. He, he was blind. He got his eyes anointed with mud made from spittle and dirt, and he went down and washed, and he came back. And here are all these people, but Jesus could have been any one of them. He had never seen him. He had literally, in the Greek, it literally says he had never laid eyes on him. I think kind of a little pun there that, that John is kind of pulling off there. He never seen him. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he is. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup if I had to. Why is it significant that here we have Jesus healing a blind man, giving sight to the blind? Why is it that here in this passage at this time, after five signs, five miracles have taken place, building their way toward this, that now we have Jesus healing this, this man who has been blind since birth. Well, quite simply, it's because as it's building, as the other miracles have been showing things about Christ, this is the one sign that shows that he is indeed the Messiah, giving sight to the blind, open the eyes of the blind so that the blind might see. Now, this is not the only blind man that Jesus healed. At least two other Gospels record instances of other situations where blind men have been healed. Uh, one has two blind men who are brought to Jesus. It doesn't say they're born from, uh, from birth blind, but it doesn't say they are, that they've been blind. It doesn't tell how long they've been blind, but their friends bring them to Jesus. They go into the house, and Jesus touches their eyes, and he heals them, and they go away seeing. In another gospel, there, one is brought. Jesus makes another little mud pack type thing, touches his eyes, doesn't tell him to go wash, just touches his eyes with the mud. He wipes it off, and Jesus says, what do you see? And he said, I see men walking about like trees, and the eye wasn't quite clear, and Jesus touched him again and said, okay, what do you see now? And he said, I see as clear as day. I see people. I see faces. I, I, I see things I've never, we, we haven't. We couldn't see before this took place. So you have Jesus doing the miracles of healing the blind throughout his ministry. Matter of fact, it might very well be that in the passage that, that Todd read just a little bit ago in our, in our opening scripture reading from, from Luke chapter 4, it might very well be that when, when it said that he came to Galilee and the people said, you know, we've, we've heard what you've been doing, we've, 
he, he can't, we, we know that you've done great miracles in other places. Why don't you do them here? It may be that it's the healing of the blind that they're thinking about there. we got blind people here also in your hometown. Why don't you heal them? We've got blind people that, that need to be able to see. You've done it elsewhere. Why don't you do it now? They're always asking for some kind of miracle. They're always asking for some kind of sign. They're always asking for some kind of, uh, and really not so much to prove who he is, but they just want it so they can be amazed, so they can be entertained. Herod had that problem when Jesus was brought to him. Herod said, oh, well, I've heard all these great things, and then let's see you do something like you've done before. Entertain me with some of your great and mighty works. And Jesus wouldn't do it. Jesus didn't come for entertainment. Jesus didn't come to wow people with his power. He came to use his power for the glory of God. He came to use his power to show who he was, not so much as a miracle worker, not so much as a teacher, but who he was when he goes to that cross. All of these miracles, all of these powers are done, as it were, under the shadow of the cross. You need to realize that every one of these miracles are done looking forward to Calvary. Jesus knew that was his steps. Jesus knew that's where he was going. And as he comes out of the Feast of Tabernacles, it very well may be that Jesus is now more than any other time in his ministry preparing his disciples for what is about to come. And so he heals the blind, showing that that is the mark of the Messiah. Uh, that's what he said in Luke's gospel. If you remember what, what Brother Todd read a few minutes ago, he came into the temple uh, came into the synagogue, rather, as was his custom on the Sabbath day when he, when he was at home. This was evidently his home church, if you will. Everybody there knew him. Everybody saw him in, in Joseph's carpenter shop. Indeed, as uh, one man said this past week, some of them probably had tables that Jesus had, prepared, had repaired. Some of them had chairs that maybe Jesus had helped his father Joseph build in his carpenter shop. I mean, they knew who he was. They had heard about what was going on in other places, but they knew this boy, this young man. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. So he came into the, the synagogue. He stood up and he read. He, he took the book of the prophet Isaiah as it was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. He did the, this is very intentional. Jesus didn't do any lucky dipping here, where he just opened the, opened the scroll and said, okay, I'll read whatever my finger touches. He found the place he wanted, and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is, a, this is from Isaiah chapter 61 and Isaiah chapter 42 talking about the servant of the Lord, talking about the suffering servant who would come. And Jesus says, reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of the whole synagogue were fixed on him. Just like you're looking at me right now. They were, they were intent. They were fixed on him. And he said to them, today. Today. Right now. In your hearing. This is the fulfillment 
of that prophecy. He was saying, you know, the servant of the Lord, the Messiah that that we've been looking for, that the nation has been looking for and longing for and waiting for and passionate for, you know, you've been waiting and we've talked about it. You go to synagogue every, every week on the Sabbath and you, you hear talk about the Messiah. Your fathers and their fathers and their fathers before them taught and talked about the Messiah that was yet to come, the one who would redeem his people, the one who would be the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ. Well, I want you to know all that talk for all those generations, all those prophecies that were spoken by the prophets, I want you to know something right now, today, in your hearing, that's been fulfilled. He says, I've arrived. And, and they looked at him and thought, what in the world is he saying? They were speaking well of him. They were all saying, oh, what a, you know, he was a good boy. He, he never disobeyed uh, uh, Joseph. He never disobeyed Mary. He was a good boy. They were speaking well of him and, and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? We know him. He's a good boy. And then Jesus kind of provoked him a bit. He said, you know, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done in Capernaum, then do it here in your hometown as well. If you want to say this is being fulfilled, prove it. Show it. Demonstrate it. Words are cheap. Anybody can pick up Isaiah's prophecy and say, well, this is me. Show me. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown, but I say to you in truth that there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months when when a great famine came over the land, but God didn't send Elijah to all of the widows in that place in Israel. Wasn't sent to any. I'm just only down to Zarephath, land of Sidon, to one woman who was a widow. And, and there were many lepers in Israel. A lot of people with leprosy, but but he didn't send, he, he didn't, he didn't cleanse all of them. He didn't have them all cleansed, but he sent Elisha the prophet just down to one, and that was Naaman, the Syrian of all people. Well, people in the synagogue were filled with rage when he heard these things. Why would, that, why would that upset them? Why would it upset them that Jesus said, I'm here to fulfill the prophecy, I'm, I'm healing the sick, I'm, I'm giving sight to the blind, I'm, I'm declaring the year of the Lord, I'm, 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 I'm freeing the oppressed, I'm doing all these things. Why did it upset them? Well, it upset them because they really thought they could demand of God and of Him whatever they wanted. They thought they had a right. You belong to us. You're in your home synagogue. You're in your hometown. 
Give us what we want. Do what we want right now. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do it. When he said, look, God works as God chooses, not as you demand. God works in God's ways, not as you think he ought to work. The people in the synagogue were filled with rage when they heard these things, and they got up and they drove him out of the city, and they were ready to throw him off the hill, throw him off the cliff. And don't you know God was sitting in heaven laughing? You think because you don't get your way because God doesn't do what he want, you want him to do that you can just demand of him, God, give me an account. And if you don't give me an account, away with you. You can't say away with him. That's what John wants us to see in this passage. He wants us to see that what Jesus read in the synagogue in Nazareth, in his hometown, that that, that was a prophecy of what was taking place here. And, and he heals this man. Now, he does it a little differently. He, he spits on the ground. And I don't. Uh, John doesn't go into a lot of detail as to why Jesus does this one differently from the others. I mean, at other places, miracles are merely a touch by the hand of Jesus. Sometimes they're just a word from his tongue, you know. Rise, pick up your mat, and walk. I mean, he didn't even touch him, evidently. He just said, get up. And the power of God, the power of Christ was so great that the, the man who was crippled just got up and walked, took up his pallet, and got out of there. But on this particular one, he spits on the dirt, mixes up a little mud, and rubs it on his eyes. You need to understand, I think, one of the things that, that the Jews that were watching this would have understood and been somewhat troubled by, and that is that spittle, spit, was considered an excrement of the body. It was, it was unclean. It was, it was dirty, just like any other bodily fluids would be. Blood was a, was a contaminant. If you touch blood, if you were touched by blood, you could not go and worship. You were declared unclean until you went through the ceremonial washings and, and many other things. But in this case, in this particular instance, Jesus takes that which they consider literally the dirt of the body, the, 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 the filth of the body, he spits it in the dirt of the ground, and he makes this mud cake, mud, uh, mud paste, and he puts it on his eyes, and he says, now, go down and wash in the, in the pool of Siloam. Now, John doesn't tell us why he spit on the ground. He doesn't tell us why he used the dirt. But he does take great pains to say what the translation of the pool of Siloam is. It is translated sent. Perhaps John is saying to us here, remember this is the one making the mud. This is the one who has been sent by God. This is the Messiah. And now he is, sending, he is sending this blind man, blind from birth, down to the pool to wash his eyes. Now, why didn't he just say, be healed? Perhaps we see in this there is obedience that follows Christ's work in our life. That, that when Christ does a work, when Christ moves in our life, it's not just a movement that is without response. And this man is told by Jesus, go and do this. Don't you know that must have sounded foolish to him? 
I've been to the pool before. I've been to many other places before where there's water. What's so significant about it? Why are you making me go down there? Jesus, if you really can do this, why don't you just heal me? Why are you making me go through all of this? But he didn't say that at all. He just went. You see, he may be blind, but he could hear. And he had heard about Jesus. He even expresses this, this one who is called Jesus, he says. I, I, know, who, I, I know I've heard about him, and, and I've, I've heard what he's been doing. And listen, if he tells me to do something, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to be obedient. And he did. And he came back, and he could see. You see, this, this, as these miracles move closer and closer to Calvary, they begin to show us not only the physical side of blindness, but the spiritual blindness that exists in men and women across the world. Even his, his neighbors are, are the first to enter into conversation with him. Next week, we'll look at how the Pharisees are brought into the picture. But his neighbors are brought into it. This, this is amazing. They say, you know, we, we've, we've seen him. We've lived near him. And, and so the neighbors and those who had saw him as a beggar were saying, is this not the one who, is this not the same man who used to sit down there in the street, in our way, bugging us all the time and saying, alms, alms for the blind, alms for the poor. Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg all the time? Some looked at him and said, yeah, that's him. I don't understand this. Was he faking it all this time? Was he just acting like he was blind? Maybe it was a psychosomatic sickness. Maybe he just thought he was blind. And, and you know, it, now somebody tells him to look and see, and so it, somehow in his psyche he works that up and he looks and sees. No, no this man's been blind since birth. No psychosomatic illness here. They look at him and they say, yeah, that's, that's him. We know him. We've lived next to him. We, we, we've seen him day in and day out his entire life begging. Still others were a little skeptical. They were skeptical because, you see, blind people from birth just don't see at one point. And so they're skeptical. They say, well, you know... <laughs> We think maybe this is just somebody that kind of looks like him. He's got a, he's got a familiarity. He's, got a, he, he's kind of a look-alike, but, but we're not sure he's really the same one. But he kept saying, I am the one. I'm he. I'm the one you've seen begging. I'm the one you've seen that could not see. I'm the one you have seen but could not see you back. Then tell us, how were your eyes opened? Well, it was easy. This man who's called Jesus, he made clay, anointed my eyes, and told me to go down to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I see. Now, there's your testimony. There's your personal testimony in the vernacular of 21st century Christianity. I, I couldn't see. I was blind. Jesus touched me. I see. Well, how'd that happen? 
I don't know. It just took some mud and put it on my eye and I washed. And I, I never knew that to happen before. It's, it's kind of strange. It's kind of unusual. But it happened. I'll tell us really what happened. They didn't have any eye surgeons to try to fix it back in that day. They didn't have any doctors. They, they could do anything with that. They had a hard time believing it really took place. But he said, this is what happened. He made the clay. He anointed my eyes. I washed. And I have sight. Where is he? I don't know. I know he's here. I know he's around here. But I can't pick him out. I've never seen him. I've never laid eyes on him. But I know what he did in my life. You know, there are a lot of people, or the Pharisees are going to get all incensed about this next week. There are a lot of people who are blind. They cannot see spiritually. Oh, they see fine physically. Eyes are wide open. They're like the neighbors. Well, tell us how that really happened. Well, I don't know. Then we can't believe, can't see it with these eyes, can't understand it with this brain. It makes sense. We can't believe. So all I know is Jesus touched me. All I know is this one called Jesus, who I've heard about what he's doing, this one called Jesus has touched me, and now I can see. Do you know that's the testimony of every believer? That's the testimony of every Christian, if they're honest. I mean, I, I realize in our day, we try to mix it all up and say, well, you know, I, I heard about Jesus, and I went out and did good, and, and I, I made God happy, and he, he, I got saved by doing good. And well, I mean, you hear that all the time, but that's not, that's not true. The truth is, if, if you're a believer, you once were blind. You once had no spiritual sight, no spiritual understanding, no spiritual clarity at all. You were wandering around spiritually in darkness, and Jesus touched you and gave you sight. I I love the old John Newton hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved, uh, in Newton's words, a worm like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You see, that's the testimony of every believer. That's the testimony of the work of Christ in every believer's life. And it only comes by the touch of Christ. It only comes by His power and His grace and His might. It's the only way it comes. It doesn't come by your good deeds. It doesn't come by your trying harder. It doesn't come by you saying, I'll be better. It comes by the touch of the Savior. I love that song the choir sang this morning. I hope you listen to the words. We trust your love. We need your power every hour. Every hour. I mean, 
you know, and my favorite phrase in the whole thing was, you never slumber or blink your eyes. Was that our God or what? He never slumbers, he never sleeps, he never even blinks his eyes. He is an all-powerful God. He is a sovereign God. And he has sent his son, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah, into the world to redeem a people for himself. blind man sitting by the road, listening to all the hustle and bustle, and all of a sudden, there is Jesus. I remember goodness, I'm old. 40-something years ago, 1970, sitting under Deanie Chimes, University of Alabama, as a freshman in college, literally wandering around in the darkness at about 2 a.m., literally just totally confused, and sitting down on the steps below Deanie Chimes. Confusion all around me, mostly brought on by the economics test the next day. But confusion all around me. And sitting down there, blind as a bat, spiritually. And the power of Christ touching me. And giving me sight. Power of Christ renewing me, rebirthing me, regenerating me giving me life and giving me sight. And I'm sure I'd sung Amazing Grace in little East Aboga Baptist Church hundreds of times. But it wasn't until that night that those words, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see really became a reality in my life. Really became something that was more than just a song. But it was life. So back last October when I got to go down to the Alabama Ole Miss football game and we were walking on campus, I sat down in that spot. I handed my camera, my phone to Reda, and I said, take a picture of me right here. She kind of knew what it was about. Others that were with us were kind of going, why do you want your picture made right there? Because in that spot, it was kind of my pool of Siloam. It was kind of my encounter with Christ for the first time, really. Oh, I had encounters with religion a lot. Thought I was a pretty good guy, a lot. But on that step, in January of 1970, I was touched by the power of Christ. And I could see. 
I could see Him. I could see His glory. I could see my sin. And He brought me that night to repentance. He granted me repentance. He granted me a, a desire, a thirst, a panting as I prayed earlier. A panting for Him. As a deer pants for the water stream, so my soul is after you, O Lord. So my soul is after you, O Lord. You're my only hope. You're all I've got. Folks, if you're here this morning and you're a believer and, and, and that panting, that, that thirst, that desire, that, that passion is gone from your life, Fall before God this morning and say, Lord God, I've got to have it back. If you try to fill your life with all sorts of other love, husband, wife love, child love, parent love, friend love, if you've tried to fill that place with all sorts of stuff, possessions, you're empty. Fall on your face before Christ today and say, Lord, I must I must have that desire again. If you're here this morning, you're lost. I once was lost, once was blind. If you're in that position, cry out to Him. Oh, Lord, show me Your grace. Oh, Lord, show me Your presence. Show me Your goodness. Show me Your power. Lord, I'm lost. I know I'm lost. often say, if that's your heart's desire, Christ is working with you. Christ is touching you. Call out to Him. Let's pray. Father, it must have been terrible to have been been blind since birth, having nothing but to beg at the mercy of other sinners, couldn't, couldn't do work because he couldn't see, couldn't find Christ because he couldn't see, didn't know what he looked like. must have been terrible. But how much more terrible to have physical eyesight and be spiritually blind. Father, I pray you touch spiritual eyes today. Father, I pray that you will do your work in men and women's lives, young people's lives here this morning. Give them a passion for you. Give them a desire for you. And draw them to yourself. Give them sight. Sight to see their sin and sight to see you as the only Savior. And then, Father, receive the glory for it. 
All glory is not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you be the glory. 